Uh, we're losing our descriptive language because we don't have to, we don't have to retell stories. We can just show the video. We don't have to explain where we were in a, in a specific moment in time. We can show the picture. And you see this, you know, with a grand, a grandmother interacting with a grandchild, you know, like, I want to show you these ducks that cross the road. And you just show the, the photo instead of explaining what did they look like? What was their texture? What, what, you know, were they big? Were they small? What All of these sort of descriptive, relational, rich textual language is absolutely missing from so many kids' vocabulary. Hi, this is Danae. I'm the founder of Simple Families. Simple Families is an online community for parents who are seeking a simpler, more intentional life. In this show, we focus on minimalism with kids, positive parenting, family wellness, and decreasing the mental load. My perspectives are based in my firsthand experience raising kids, but also rooted in my PhD in child development. So you're going to hear conversations that are based in research, but more importantly, real life. Thanks for joining us. Hi there. Thanks so much for tuning in. That voice that you heard in the intro is Erin Lochner. Erin is a mom of three. She's the author of the book Chasing Slow and the founder of the homeschool platform Other Goose. Erin has been blogging and speaking for more than a decade. I read her first book, Chasing Slow, when it came out, and... I enjoyed it so much. So when she reached out to me recently and told me she was writing a second book and actually asked for my input, I was so flattered and also excited because this book that Erin is working on right now is about creating a more engaging home environment for our kids, which in some ways can compete with the highly engaging platforms that are online. The reality is that we have a lot of competition when it comes to our kids' attention. And sometimes we're so distracted ourselves that we're not able to give the time and the presence that our kids really need. So this recalibration is really thinking about how can we make some changes in our own lives and in our own screen time use to help encourage and foster positive changes in the lives of our kids. Erin and I are not bringing you any miracle solutions today, but as with most of my episodes, I'm hoping you'll think a little bit deeper about this topic and figure out what it means to you in ways that you might be inspired to make change within your own home. Now, I'll warn you that about one-fourth of the way through this episode, my microphone gave out. So my audio sounds pretty awful for a couple of minutes. But your ear will adjust, hopefully. I know mine did when I was re-listening to it. And then it's not so bad. Like I always say, take what works for you and leave what doesn't. I hope you enjoy this episode and walk away with some ideas and renewed energy for more presence and engagement in your home. It's not easy. Without further ado... Here's my chat with Erin. Hi, Erin. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm so happy to be here with you. Yes. Thank you for chatting with me today. Thank you for having me. I'm just thrilled to pick your brain about this. It's going to be a great conversation. Likewise. So just to give a little background on how this conversation was born, you're writing a new book and you had emailed me with some questions to, I guess, support in writing your manuscript. And I said, we need to talk about these questions. <laughs> these questions are so important. And I want to hear your responses to them too. Yay. I know this is going to be perfect just to have a conversation about it because I do look to you as an expert as well. So it's just going to be so fun. Right. So tell us what the book is roughly about. Give us an idea. So the book is, the premise is how to give kids what technology can't. 
And the idea is kind of pushing back on how we talk about technology in our culture, specifically with kids. We talk about screen time. We talk about, um, you know, plugging in the phone at 9 p.m. and and not letting allowing access afterward. And and I'm for you know all of all of those boundaries around tech. And yet, if we're not engaging our kids on the other side, if we're not connecting with them in a way that's more engaging than the algorithm is connecting with them, then it's truly an uphill battle for parents. So Erin, tell me, how did you get here? What brought you to this topic? Well, you know, so I was an influencer years and years and years ago, you know, old maid on the internet kind of. And I, my daughter turned 10 and everyone around her was getting cell phones. And I thought, I I know how the underbelly of this works. I know exactly what it takes kind of to, to ride the wave of tech. And I'm not, I'm not willing to allow that in my kids' lives. I, I don't want social media to be part of their life. Um, I don't I don't want our lives to revolve around sort of behavior modification. And so I thought, what if we steal the secrets that I learned influencing and, and the secrets of the tech giants, right? And um, use them to influence our kids. What if we use them in our own households? What if we're putting all of these playbooks into practice in our own home, and and would we boost engagement? Would we live delightfully engaged lives offline? And and the answer I'm finding is yes, a hundred percent yes. Mm. Yeah, that's so interesting. Um, oh my gosh, I have so many thoughts. So, well, first of all, has your daughter? I'm assuming doesn't have a phone yet. No, no. Okay, but what would you say percentage wise of her friends have phones? Would you say half? Oh heavens! Well. Um, we we have kind of a Luddite group going, <laughs> like with some other parents that are like, we're not doing this along, we're not doing phones. And uh, so we've kind of created a new circle. But I would say half of them, half of them easily have okay. have full on, you know, phones with, with the internet on them. Yeah, I've heard it's 50%, I believe, of fifth graders have phones. And then by the teenage years, it's like 95% or something like that in the U S. Wow. So that's about, I think probably national average, I would say 50%. Is she in fifth grade or fourth grade? We homeschool. So she's sort of okay. all over the place. <laughs> okay. So tell us the ages of your other kids. 10, six and two. And actually this is birthday month. So it'll be 11, seven and three. Oh, okay. Got it. Yeah. So, you know, I feel like it's funny when you, when we were first talking, you said that you wanted to talk to me about this, um, the idea of, you know, how do we engage kids aside from um, screens? And you called me an expert at it. And I am, I feel anything but (laughs) (laughs) because it feels every day like an uphill battle. And, you know, I have two kids, one, it's a lot easier than the other kid. And I think for those of us, um, you know, so I, I don't know, I hate to say like some of us got lucky and got a kid that's easy to engage in other things. Um, but for some kids, I think it is just harder to engage in other more analog type activities. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think for all kids, it's it's challenging. What do you think? I I would agree. I, well, I think too, it really truly depends on so many of the environment. Like what I like talking to you about is the environment in which we're creating at home and how I remember reading this study about code libraries, at, which is essentially, you know, how the algorithm, what it's based on. The foundation of an algorithm is code library. And the idea is whoever codes the library embeds her values. And 
I thought that's so absolutely true. And we have the flexibility as parents, certainly in the early years, to code the library. You know, we can we can control the home environment in ways, and we do it every day, right? We put the fruit basket out and not the snacks first. You know, we we do this in so many other ways. And I do think I think we we have a lot more control over this issue than than we think that we do. Um, but again, I can say that from somebody but we have a lot of control over our home life in general as, as homeschoolers. So I, I do, I think it, once the kids enter school and they have that peer attachment and they have the socialization, it does become a lot harder is what I'm hearing from parents. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. You mentioned how important your community is in this topic, because I think, you know, I spoke with Gaia Bernstein, who is um, the author of the book Unwired, a few weeks ago, and she is really talking about addictive technology and what we can do about it and how we can handle it and how, you know, just on a one-to-one basis at home with our own families isn't enough, that making interventions more on a community level, trying to gather groups of people to help make changes in your community is really important. And I've been, you know, since talking with her, I've been sort of trying to get some fellow community members on board with the wait until eighth pledge, Mm -hmm. which for anyone that's not um, familiar, that's just the pledge that you're going to wait until eighth grade. Um, But, you know, I started with my daughter's first grade class and just kind of talking to some parents and it, and I've gotten a lot of interesting responses. And I think mostly it's kind of like, I don't really want to think about this yet. I've got too many other things to think about. And I am just, in my mind, I'm like, we have to think about this now. Like, we got to get ahead of it. We have to make a plan because if we wait until fourth grade, then fifth grade, if like half half the kids are getting it by fifth grade, then we're kind of in a sticky situation where our kid already has this expectation that this is what's to come. This is what is to be expected when they turn 10 or 11. What do you think? So absolutely every expert that I've talked to about this says the same thing that you did. You have to you have to think about it way before you you need to make the decision at all, which is so how so much of parenting works anyway. You know, you really do have to sort of have the forward thought and the second order thought to be able to put yourself in the position of if if we wait until it's on the table, it's really too late. Yeah. Yeah, because I think our kids are building these expectations in their own minds, right? They're kind of setting their own timeline around Oh, like my, I know a 10 year old that has a phone Then I'm going to be the 10 year old with the phone. And even if we haven't discussed it, they might have internal expectations. Yes. And truly that, that exit strategy is really, really hard, right? So say you do give them the phone, it doesn't work out. Even if you have these contracts in place and all of these sort of expectations that are very, very clear, it's going to be an uphill battle to take that phone away. So if we can delay, 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 and, um, or, or find fantastic alternatives for otherwise, otherwise community and kind of replacing the idea that technology is inevitable and that social media is necessary. I don't believe that it is for everybody. I don't think it's necessary at all. So um, kind of just really reframing that conversation entirely. Yeah. Have you seen the um, Dove Beauty commercial? Not, I don't know if it's a commercial, but the video of the girl who gets the phone. Yes. Um, it's going viral. It's it's heartbreaking. Um, And one thing that really, I mean, there are so many parts of that that stuck out to me, but one thing that I really noticed and I feel like is important was the gifting of the phone, right? Mm -hmm. That the phone was, you know, it was a Christmas gift or a holiday gift and she was so excited to unwrap it. And I think that that is historically like how we've gifted 
but this, it feels less akin to a Christmas gift and more like a driver's license. Like mm-hmm. this comes with responsibilities. This comes with expectations. This is, there's risk associated with this. So I just wonder about like that, that delivery process. Like, can we come up with a new way to actually present it where it's not, this isn't like a fun, exciting gift. This is a real responsibility. Yes. And you know, what's so interesting that you said that I was speaking with Jean Rogers, Do you know, Jean Rogers, um, I don't. Screen Time Network, it's a, it associated with Fair Play and she's Children's Action Screen Time Network. But I interviewed her um, who had just spoken with a Harvard researcher that was really getting into, is there a way to recreate the ritual around the gifting of the phone? Because exactly like you said, it's not truly a gift. A gift doesn't come with strings. A gift doesn't come with expectations. It's just a gift. And if we are giving our child that gift and then placing all of these regulations around it, what does that do to the relationship, right? What what does that do for the, the, the unconditional acceptance on the other end? And you can't truly give this thing without strings because it it must be monitored in every sense of the word. So mm-hmm. that you brought that up. I think that's really wise. Yeah. It, it's just an interesting sort of perspective shift on this. Right. And like really approaching this with a level of seriousness of understanding the implications that come along with being a human with a phone, which I think we're learning all the time. There are more and more. Yeah. You know what? It's really interesting in, in my research. I find that a lot of the reasons parents are giving their kids about, well, the the question that they're asking is, is my child ready? Uh, Is my child independent enough? Are they responsible enough? Um, Which are great questions in itself. But I would also ask myself and for my kids, are they responsible enough to not have one? Are they responsible enough or independent enough to not have one? Do they know how to make their way through a new neighborhood without GPS? Do they know how to bank in person? Do they know how to do sort of these things that that have extra nuance in them that they don't really see played out anymore? And that's the question I'm asking of myself. We're experimenting with flip phones right now, my husband and I, um, just to see, can we move into the world without this tethered technology? Are we independent and responsible enough? And it's hard. It really is. Yeah, you're right. And I think one of the things that we're seeing with kids is that when, you know, these things that you just described, like going to the bank or like finding your way through a neighborhood, now that we have made a lot of those digital and app based that, you know, things we learned as kids, they're not learning some of those core basic skills, these executive functioning skills that they really need. And one of the things I think about is um, folders, right? So I learned how to manage folders based on my folders that I had in school for I had a folder for each subject and I put each paper into that folder and you know the kids who are coming of age now if it's all on screens like they don't really have this real tangible knowledge of what a folder is so how would you learn to organize something when you don't have a physical understanding and that physical understanding we know comes first before we can make it conceptual and more abstract in a digital format. Oh, that is fascinating because you're right. Sorting is that one of those key executive functions, even in toddlers and without practice in that area and without that tactile demonstration, because I think that's what technology does. It sort of um, makes everything feel very magical mm-hmm. and just behind the curtain. And we don't really know how the cogs are working in the wheel and all of it. And um, and then we're left feeling a bit um, aimless and a bit um, certainly disempowered in terms of, of guiding and leading our lives. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think that's becoming more and more 
kids who are, you know, they're getting access to phones earlier and they have them with them all the time. So these tools are always available and they're not forced to problem solve as much. Like I, I, my son has a gizmo watch and my real reservation was that he was going to message me all day long on things like, Hey, I'm in the bathroom and there's no toilet paper or Hey, like I'm on the bus and I don't know if she knows our stop or like things where they could ask other adults and advocate for themselves otherwise that they'd be coming to me for all of these little things. Unfortunately, that did not happen, (laughs) but I think we are (laughs) seeing that a lot with kids is that they aren't problem solving. They're going to their parents, they're messaging constantly all throughout the day, asking little questions and looking to their parents to be their problem solvers. Oh, that's really interesting too. Yes. Um, I had read a study too about uh, we're losing our descriptive language because we don't have to, we don't have to retell stories. We can just show the video. We don't have to explain where we were in a, in a specific moment in time. We can show the picture. And you see this, you know, with a grand a grandmother interacting with a grandchild, you know, like, I want to show you these ducks that cross the road. And you just show the, the photo instead of explaining what did they look like? What was their texture? What, what you know, were they big? Were they small? What All of these sort of descriptive, relational, rich textual language is absolutely missing from so many kids' vocabulary because it's so, um, Mm. here, just see for yourself, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's easier to show someone than it is to tell someone. Right. Taking one more way of taking the easy route, which I didn't, I never thought about that, but all of this is, is just absolutely terrifying. Um, so let's start talking (laughs) about solutions. (laughs) Yes. I love it. I love it. (laughs) So you know, your first question to me was, how can we as parents embed our values into the design and environment of our homes? So, you know, I feel like we're trying to do that from birth, but we can get distracted. I don't know. What, what have you done for this that has helped? Um, I'm just continuously reassessing. I, I, do, I do. When I think of parenting, I think of attachment. Um, I think so much of it we we kind of as our kids grow and as they get more independent and they sort of gain all of these cognitive skills and everything we we lose those basic uh building blocks in terms of watching your kid observing your child um figuring out what makes them tick what is what's delightful to them and um it really is we have to continue studying our children far past those toddler years it's it's like we just sort of stop because um, they can do so much on their own. And I think they should. I think independence is fantastic. But what I find really interesting is that our kids often tell us a lot about their personalities far um, beyond those toddler eight, those toddler years. So um, one thing that I think is fantastic for parents to do is, is to be really malleable with the space in their home, rearrange often. Um, we just have so we have kind of a wide swath of of child ages but we just recently rearranged our basement um from kind of this honestly it was truly kind of a grown-up space just because the the kids were upstairs so much but I thought you know they really do need a place to um create and stay messy, right? The creations needed to stay out and they needed to constantly be building on. And I found that if they were upstairs, I needed the house back in order, you know, so that it would function. I needed, I needed the table to be available for dining room use and all of that. So 
we rearranged the basement and just made this ongoing craft corner, filled it with paints and markers and supplies and all kinds of things. And um, there's a music section in the corner. There is um, endless books. You know, it's it's just a creative space that was used. Certainly we had to give up some of our more adult space, um, but it it was absolutely worth it. So I think sort of walking through your home and looking at it almost like you do when you're baby proofing, you know, um, kid proofing your house, making it geared toward delight uh, and toward engagement and surprise. I like to, um, well, this is one of my friends. She doesn't use her microwave. And so what she does in the morning is she puts just a new thing in the microwave, whether <laughs> it's just, um, it's so odd, you know, whether it's just like, oh, I, I found this wire whisk for the toddler to play with today. Or um, I found this new book at the library. I know that my uh, teenager is going to love. So she just sticks it in the microwave and it's sort of like, in the morning, they're just greeted with something engaging for them to do. And it doesn't cost money. It's things you can find in your own house. You know, I, I saw yeah. this on a walk day. It's a heart-shaped rock. It made me think of you. Just little surprises in the same way that technology offers little alerts and little surprises and little notifications that say, hey, I haven't engaged with you in the while. Can we do something together? It's kind mm -hmm. of that same idea, but put into practice scattered throughout your home, you know? Yeah, I love that. However, I would never be able to remember to put something in the microwave every day and my kids would end up being disappointed 80% of the time. I know. <laughs> I think that's lovely. <laughs> um, just little things like, you know, you could Sharpie a message on a banana for when they wake up. I just think it's just, um, just tiny, tiny, tiny things that just absolutely bring a smile to your kids' lives that anything that would bring a smile to your life, um, will also to your children. Right. Just to say, I notice you, I thought of you. And those things, I think, in a distracted age that we're parenting in are important things that we have to be more intentional about because it might have been easier to do that when we didn't have constant distraction around us. Yes, yes. Even even just making eye contact as soon as your kid walks in the room, um, touching them when, you, when they enter the room, touching them when they leave the room, just um, the very, very simple things that you would do with a baby, you know, just um, touch, sound, smell, they're all still very important in a child's life. And I would say even more so because they're not getting that on their phone. You know, th their phone is is one dimensional. It's not mm -hmm. engaging all their senses. So we have an opportunity to engage all their senses through taste, touch, smell, all of it. Um, and so how great would it be if we could, if we if we would make an effort to engage those? Hi there, we're gonna pause for a break from today's sponsors. The first sponsor for today is StoryWorth. If you're looking for the perfect gift for Father's Day, look no further. StoryWorth is an online service that helps you and your dad or father figure connect through sharing stories and memories. It preserves them for years to come. Every week, StoryWorth emails your dad a thought-provoking question of your choice from a vast pool of possible options. Each prompt asks questions that you've never thought of, like, what's one of your fondest childhood memories? Or have you ever feared for your life? You'll absolutely enjoy hearing the answers to these questions. Our family has so enjoyed sharing story worth with multiple generations. The generation of kids that we are raising are used to sharing memories based on pictures. And of course you can do that with StoryWorth, but it takes it a step further by sharing the words of the people that they love the most, hearing their stories firsthand. So give all the fathers in your life a meaningful gift that you can cherish for years to come. 
StoryWorth. Right now, for a limited time, you can save $10 off your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com simple. That's S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash simple to save $10 off your first purchase. Storyworth.com slash simple. The second sponsor for today is Just Thrive. Just Thrive Probiotics and Just Calm help you to reclaim your health, your happiness, and your peace of mind. Their breakthrough probiotic formula is clinically proven to balance your gut. This is huge because as much as 90% of Americans have an overgrowth of bad bacteria in their gut, and studies show that an unhealthy gut can lead to an increase in stress hormones. Not only will Just Thrive Probiotic help you to stay ahead of things like gas and bloat and constipation, but when your gut is balanced and healthy, you'll be able to handle stress so much better. So Just Thrive Probiotic has zero fillers, gluten, dairy, histamines. It can even be sprinkled onto food or drink. So it's a great probiotic for the whole family. And for more stress-busting mood support, add in Just Calm. You can try Just Thrive Probiotic and Just Calm risk-free with Just Thrive's lifetime money-back guarantee. So what do you have to lose? Right now, when you go to justthrivehealth.com and use the promo code SIMPLE, you can get 20% off a 90-day bottle of Just Thrive Probiotic and Just Calm. That's like getting a month for free. Go to justthrivehealth.com and use the promo code SIMPLE to get 20% off a 90-day bottle of Just Thrive Probiotic and Just Calm. Our third and final sponsor for today is KiwiCo. KiwiCo has long been a favorite in our family. I think our all-time favorite box has been Magic Tricks, especially learning how to use static electricity to make those tricks even more magical. KiwiCo believes that every kid is naturally creative and curious and that hands-on experiences build creative confidence and problem-solving skills that can change the world. And they deliver seriously fun learning for kids of all ages. KiwiCo projects are designed by a team of educators, makers, engineers, and rocket scientists. They brainstorm thousands of ideas to create the most exciting, age-appropriate, and educational projects. So give your kids the tools to learn new skills, build new experiences, and make new connections to the broader world. Redefine learning with play. Explore hands-on projects that build creative confidence with KiwiCo. Get 50% off your first month plus free shipping on any crate line at kiwico.com slash simple. That's 50% off your first month at kiwico.com slash simple. Thanks for supporting our sponsors. You know, something I've thought a lot about is how going from one sort of shared screen in the living room to multiple screens where everyone's dividing up and seeking out their own interests that we've lost a lot of connection. Like, I think, you know, a generation ago, we probably thought like, oh, like as a family, we shouldn't be sitting around watching TV together because, you know, that's not healthy. And now I'm of the mindset where if we're all sitting around watching the same screen together, that feels connecting and healthy. It's funny how our, our perspective shifts. That's exactly right. And you're so right too. I remember reading an, um, and Mr. Rogers wrote a parenting book in like 1983 or something. And one, and his advice to parents was, uh, watch a show with your child. That's all. It, it the, the number of shows you're watching matters far less than whether or not you're sitting right next to them and you're and you're pausing the show to engage with them and you're talking during the commercial break back when we had commercials and um and you're using those sort of parasocial relationships um, to build context on real relationships. And that's a really great way to use technology in a healthy way. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that it's challenging for us as parents because we're so used to the algorithms that we are used to being funneled into what 
interests us at that particular moment. So it's almost harder for us to engage in what our kids are wanting to do because we're so used to our own interests being catered to. Mm, exactly. I think that's yeah. so true. Yeah. I um, My kids have been watching The Masked Singer lately. Have you seen that? No. Okay. So it's interesting because it's definitely not a kid's show. However, McDonald's just had a whole series of the Masked Singer toys, which makes me think that there must be a lot of kids out there watching it. Um, but so it's this show where celebrities get dressed up in these like ridiculous costumes with these big masks and they sing. And then there's also the mask dancer where they dance. And then the judging panel, which is like Jenny McCarthy and um, Nicole Scherzinger. And there's couple other people um, are judging and they're like trying to figure it out. They're using inferencing to figure out who's behind the mask. Um, so, so my kids are totally obsessed with this and they started watching it without me in my living room. That's so their screen time really generally looks at, looks like they are sharing a screen. They're sharing a television and that's 95% of the time they're on screens is that they're taking turns back and forth. And so whenever they find a show that they both like, I am delighted that they're agreeing and it's all yeah. going Swimmingly. Um, so I sat down and I watched The Masked Singer with them and it's, I, it's entertaining, but it's not something I would have ever sought out on my own. And I kind of had to force myself into enjoying it. But like a lot of the stars are like from the nineties and the two thousands where I remember them and I know them and I have context around them. And it's, it's interesting because it's like one of the few shows where I feel like, oh, like this is something we all could be interested in. What else could we find like this? Because it feels harder to do that these days. Yeah. Oh, that's so fun. I love that. You know, I, I find the same thing when I'm reading uh, children's books to my kids, like we, they're not the ones that I would pick up the shelf and yet they'll fall asleep while I'm reading them. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, I don't want to wait for tomorrow to finish. This is such a good chapter. Loving it. And I think that's the beauty of of childhood is it sort of re-engages that part and reawakens that part of our own life. And it's not any, we have to be forced to do it. We would never Mm -hmm. pick up Anne of Green Gables to reread. And yet we re-fall in love with the story again. I think that's the beautiful part of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, We, I'm not a fan of YouTube and my kids, you know, they always want YouTube. So um, our YouTube policy is that every night, like after they're all ready for bed and they brush their teeth and they've done independent reading, they each read aloud a little bit to me that um, they can each pick one YouTube video that's like 10 minutes or under. So lately they've been watching Mr. Beast. Have you ever heard about Mr. Beast? No, I love this. I'm getting to the idea. No, <laughs> I mean, I'm not recommending Mr. Beast, but I mean, he's one of the top YouTubers. I don't know. He has like 100 million, 200 million followers. I don't know. Most kids who spend much time on YouTube are going to know who Mr. Beast is. I had no idea who he was, but my son heard about him at school. And I'm thinking about like, how do I, like, I don't want to shut this down. I'm not saying like you could never use YouTube, but what I don't want is the clicking around, right? Watch two minutes, click to another video, watch two more minutes. I'm really worried about the impact that that has on attention. So instead we've kind of allotted this time where you can pick one 10 minute-ish video and we'll watch it start to finish together. And I'm actually like, I don't know if I should admit this publicly, but I've kind of been enjoying Mr. Beast and I never expected it. he does so he does like some minecraft gaming videos but he also does other things so like last night we watched he um he's made a lot of money doing what he does um and he had he gifted a thousand people um sight so he did vision correcting surgery for a thousand people and um it was the stories of people being able to see for the first time and i was crying watching mr beast (laughs) with my kids though and it's 
it's funny that like there are there are opportunities for that, but we have to open ourselves to it, right? If you would have asked me two weeks ago if I would like want to sit down and watch a Mr. Beast video with my kids, I would be like, heck no, like that's the last thing I want to do. But you know, it's I enjoyed it and like finding those, uh, and they love seeing me enjoy it with them, right? Like they, I see them looking at me and noticing my response to that shared media use. Yeah, and you know, it's it's such a great point because I think when we do open ourselves to that shared experience, uh, there's a lot too of learning that takes place. I remember um, there's a site called the kids should see this. And I remember it when I was really young. uh, Well, when I was young and when my kids were younger, (laughs) but um, just that's where I would sort of find just ideas that would be interesting to them. Like how does, I know that I can't make a marble run that stretches four and a half miles away. Well, I probably could, but I don't want to. And so can I introduce that to my kids through this sort of um, closed circuit viewing, right? It's just one video. There aren't recommendations afterward. It's just, here's something really cool that these people did. And then the next day they're doing it in the backyard, you know? So I do Mm -hmm. think it can be used as a really great jumping off point or a prompt to sort of spark something new that they wouldn't have really discovered otherwise. Yeah. Well, and they're going to be exposed to it. And how do we model limiting it, right? Like we can enjoy it and then we can also turn it off. And yeah. that part that the turn it off part, I think is, um, is challenging, especially when kids are rapidly cycling through multiple things and um, with no real time limit in place or not knowing when parents are going to come in and say like, oh, you've had too much time, time to turn it off. Yeah. But yeah. I digress. I feel like we've kind of gotten gotten away. <laughs> <laughs> so let's go back to engagement because I have for sure found um, my daughter's much easier to engage in. Like she'll come home from school and have no interest in screen time and she'll go in the backyard and like dig in the dirt and do anything. Um, but my son really seeks screen time and really enjoys it. And it's a lot harder to engage him in other things. And you know, I feel like I, I have a lot of tools in my tool belt, but I still, every day, I still find that it's hard to get him engaged in other things. And it, when I say engaged, I mean, enjoying and wanting to do things or seeking things out as much as, um, seeking those analog things out as much as I want him to. Mm. Remind me, how old is he right now? He's nine. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. You know, I had a parent, um, that I spoke with who nine was kind of the turning point as for, for her. And what they decided to do was, um, let me think of the order in which this happened. Um, they took, it was sort of a removal of the environment, like boot camp style, right? Mm-hmm. Like, um, all the screens went away. There was kind of a reset happening and then it was reintroduced. And I guess some are being right around the corner. This would be doable for parents with um, kids in school, but camping trip, whatever, you know, and then it was reintroduced, um, not, not even in a reward basis of any sort, but just um, here's what we're going to do every night. We're going to uh, watch a documentary together. We're going to do just something that is single tasking with the, with the device in a way that aligns with the value. So if the parents want to visit a national park or whatever, then let's find a way for technology to serve the family's purpose rather than the passive alignment of whatever the child wants to do on the screen, if that makes sense. And I, I do feel, mm-hmm. I, 
it's really hard listening to, to, to teachers and administration and um, school principals and all of the people I'm interviewing for this book because it education does kind of um, lend itself to this personalized learning mentality, which is that you give a kid a device and you let them explore and find their way. And we kind of champion that idea that every kid is different. So every kid's algorithm is going to look differently. But that's not really the role that, of technology that we want in our kids' lives. You know, we want the kid to be in the driver's seat. And so it's sort of that re replacing the kid in the driver's seat by getting everybody else out of the car for a minute, you know, and it's, it's such a tricky reset. It really, truly is. Yeah, we did last March, we did 60 hours, completely screen free, we locked them up in a case safe. And it was fascinating, because the first day was really hard. But then the second day, and kind of it was like, okay, that's like two and a half days. This in I would say in the last 24 hours, I saw that shift, right? Like, we had gone to Staples to buy some new crayons and paper. And he told me twice, he said, I am so excited to color. And I'm like, what? Like, <laughs> I heard that oh. ever, I don't think. So I did, like, even just in a short period of time, I saw that engagement and other things reemerge, but only with the complete removal, the complete removal of the possibility of the screens. It really took that um, to see that transition. Wow. Yeah. It does feel like moderation. It's almost like when you have to reset dietary restrictions and everything. It's like moderation can be so much harder. You know, you hear people that, that quit drinking and, and make these huge mm -hmm. lifestyle changes moderation is very hard for our brains yeah. to understand. And so it does feel like an, a constant, it's just a reset and a removal. And, and sometimes that just really works for families. And I, I feel for people in the situation where the school isn't quite on board with that. I think that's very tricky. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's something yeah, that, that those resets, I think they can happen often and just become a part of all of our lives, parents too, that we could all benefit from those same resets. I kind of wonder, like going into the next few years, as we're getting so much more research about the impact of addictive technology, um, if there's going to be kind of like a secondhand smoke type result where like if you're in the vicinity of it, if it has an impact on you, if that makes sense, right? Like at first we didn't, we knew that smoking was bad for our health, but we didn't know just being in the room with smokers was as, was almost as bad for our health that I wonder kids being in the room and in the presence of heavy screen use of their parents, if that sort of lack of engagement and lack of presence from the parents has sort of a trickle down effect that is similar to the actually using the screens themselves. I don't know yeah. what you think. I well, there's all these studies about, there was one that was done where it's like, it um, there could be a parent on a device in a room or a parent on a book in a room. And it's a totally mm -hmm. different reaction from the child because it, the, the device is so disengaging. And yet the book is, is essentially warm and inviting. It's sensory, you know? Um, or even just if you have your phone on in the same room that you're working, your attention is automatically segmented, just even having it visible. So I, I agree. I think, um, yeah, just even putting, I, we, I keep my phone in the car because I only use it in the car. You know, it's, it's not helpful to me during the day, but I think, um, certain things like having it out of sight, out of mind, just all of those things that we do with, um, with everything else, just it's sort of putting technology back in its proper place and, and finding ways to just infuse the home with all of these opportunities to engage elsewhere, creating moments. Uh, maybe it's leaving a half finished puzzle on a coffee table. Or um, I remember when, when our kids were toddlers and there was this 
sort of magical secret that I unlocked with my own toddler where it's like, if you suggest, hey, let's go bake muffins, they don't want to. But if you just start, <laughs> if you start making muffins, yeah. you know, it's like display it, don't say it. You know, if you, yeah. if you start the process of making muffins, they want to be with you. They want to be invited into that. Um, I think certainly there's an age in which that sort of, the independence is grown and they don't necessarily want to be in the same room with you. And then I think, cool, go into their room and just sit, just sit in their presence, be with them and flip through a magazine or flip through a book or what, just being with them and giving them the opportunity to see you as a a non-distracted, totally interruptible sounding board and just see what happens. You know, it's, it's kind of beautiful. Yeah. Well, and I think there's a key part of what the muffin story, right? Is if they were on an iPad while you were making the muffins, they would not notice that you're making the muffins or probably be very hard to get on board with making the muffins. Mm-hmm. So for a lot of kids needing to take away the screens and then start the invitation, I think could be a lot more effective. Yeah. Because then the transition is from, is from not great to great. You know, it's, right. it's, it's a transition thing. I think that's why screens are so hard to turn off. You know, it's, it, you're fully in it and then boom, you're out of it and there's whiplash and now you have to try to get back into something else. And so if you just start without them and mm-hmm. the day kind of moves sort of in a, in a more rhythmic manner, sometimes it's, it, that makes all the difference in the world. Yeah. Um, something I work with on some of my tweens and teens in my practice is that I have them pay attention and notice to how they feel when they turn YouTube off. So 10 minutes, you're 10 minutes on YouTube, turn it off. How do you feel? Like, do you feel panicky? Do you feel like you need to run to find another device to use it, to get it somewhere else? And noticing that that feeling, right, is that you are the the pain pleasure balance of dopamine. When the dopamine is removed, you're seeking it out because it feels painful, right? And you want to re-engage in that pleasure of of continuing with the screen time. So, but noticing that's the first step, right? Noticing that it feels painful to turn it off and riding that wave of like, oh, it's really hard to turn it off. This was really hard, but I can get past this and I can go do something else, right? Knowing that pain from turning it off is going to pass and being aware of that experience. That's really wise too, because one of the um, researchers that I spoke with about sort of the dopamine effect that, that devices are having on children, particularly is um, there's an, there is an antidote to dopamine overload and it's truth telling. And I would not have thought that those two were so heavily connected, but, but the sort of the pathway in your brain that is addicted to this constant yeah, sort of drip of, of adrenaline is, is slowing it down enough to say, okay, what's actually, what's happening? What's real in life? Can we name things in the room that are unchanging, that are true, that are real, um, can we name how we're actually feeling that is true? Can we not sort of make an excuse or numb over it? Can we, can we talk honestly about how long we've been on our screens, you know, and all of those things that are rooted in reality are actually helping people that are, that would consider themselves addicted to technology sort of get a foothold to pull themselves out of it a bit. Mm, Yes. Yes. So much. And I think that's the hardest part is really acknowledging that it is a challenge for you and for adults too. I think I would ask if I asked 90% of adults, if they had an easy time putting their phone down, they probably would say, yeah, I could put it down. 
maybe not 90%, I don't know. But I think it's hard to admit to ourselves when we have a problem with it and when it's beyond our own control. Yeah, yeah. I'd be interested to hear um, if the teens you're speaking with, a lot of the ones I'm talking to are um, saying they don't even want to be on technology. They don't actually love it. They're they're not into social media. It just makes them feel bad about themselves. They're very aware that they don't want to be involved in it and that they are. Um, a lot of them will say, well, my parents are on it. I don't really have anything to do. There's that mirror effect of like mm-hmm. when someone in at the table pulls out the screen, then you also are going to pull out your screen. And um a lot of them are kind of, I, I think there's going to be an interesting resurgence that kids are leading the way in terms of, I don't really want to be doing this with my time. Yeah. Yeah. I've definitely seen kids who are setting their own downtime limits and who are asking for limits, but then often, you know, they're asking for it and they're wanting it, but then actually the actual, actual execution of it becomes more challenging because it's a bit more than they at that developmental stage can do on their own. Yeah. So you had a question, what are some habits and patterns families can establish to better enhance their child's engagement at home? What do you think about habits and patterns that can be helpful? I think a lot of, I I do, a really, really big one in our house is eye contact every time somebody walks in the room, a greeting, just a a beginning and an end, because I do think Mm -hmm. that's what miss it, what is missing from a digital life. There's no beginning and there's no end. I think um, just sort of, kind of stopping and pausing that infinite loop that exists with a heavy tech lifestyle um, is really important. And and it's simple and it's connection. So um, Mm -hmm. I contact and we're home all day together. So that is a challenge because you're in the middle of things all the time. And so um, that's a, that's a big habit in our house. Um, We have simple habits of just, and for me, a lot of these are proactive to sort of, because we don't rely on technology yet. Uh, We don't have a lot of smart, we don't have any smartphones with kids and um, our iPad downstairs is single use for piano playing. So um, we kind of just leave it be, I think leaving technology in its proper place. I think um, every now and then, well, I remember speaking with another researcher that said, you know, in the eighties when they're children were growing up and they would wake up on Saturday morning and they would get their own cereal and they would run to the TV. Sometimes all it took was her unplugging the TV to signal. She'd put a little sign on the TV that said, um, Hey, TV's off today, go find something to do. And they would, it was that it was removing the friction, right. Mm. uh, Or adding out the friction, I guess, removing that sort of automation that happens when there is a habit formed that, lends itself to heavy technology use, if you can kind of just interrupt that for just a brief second, your brain catches up to the idea of, oh yeah, I don't actually want to do this either. You know, it, the less technology is like is visible, that's super helpful if you replace them with things that you do believe in as a family, things you do want to do together, whether that's, um, hey, we want to learn how to juggle. So let's put a bunch of balls and a juggling thing on the on the coffee table and let the kids run into it, let them stumble into it. I think that's the biggest thing in our house that we've learned is um, there's a concept in homeschooling called strewing. Do you know about this? I don't. It's just the idea of, of the second that you suggest something to a kid because they're not auditory learners so young, you know, it's, it. they're all encompassing, they're visual, they're sensory. They want, they want to be in the moment themselves. They want to discover it for themselves. 
if you strew things about the house, meaning if you leave things that you value all throughout the house, whether it's the unkept puzzle or the, um, you know, here's a tea set to remind you, let's have tea today or whatever, just leaving things for the child to discover on their own, which is one of the beautiful things of nature. It's different every single day. And you're, you're being invited to an experience that you didn't manufacture and manipulate yourself. And there's a lot of wonder in that and a lot of awe that's sparked from that. So strewing is a really big one in our house in terms of habits and patterns of just allowing the kid to seek delight intentionally um, and on their own rather than being led down an algorithm path that chooses for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I have one kid that's a pro at strewing. He strews all over our house <laughs> <laughs> for better or worse. I mean, but you know, the hard part of a hard part and beautiful part of a kid like that is that they are leaving little things out and they do come in and out and re-engage with things. And the challenging part is living in a small house and just having the, the strewness all over all the time and not wanting to clean it up. So like having that, um, you know, making it serve everyone in the house, I think is challenging. Oh, it is. It is. I, I, we're big on the clean sweep every single night for sure. And um, I think as a parent, I strew more than my kids actually, because I'm <laughs> I'm just, if I run into something that makes me think of my kid, I like to leave it out for them to discover. And I always, it takes a lot of patience. I could wait three, four days before they find the thing that I wanted them to. It's just, it's kind of magical. It's a constant treasure hunt. And that that is not to say that every hour of every day is magical. It is not um, by any stretch, but I think that that really does keep their eyes open to looking for um, wonder in their day. And I think that's a, it might, my, my kid's, would probably say, I kind of think that the iPad is boring uh, because they're trained to look for real things that are existing uh, in their own house and in their environment and, and in their backyard and and beyond. Um, it's it's kind of a just a proactive retraining for them. What yeah. would you say, what would you say in terms of habit, habits and patterns in your house? Well, I'm, I'm still kind of marinating on this idea for one second. I'm, I'm imagining the. Um strewing and how it's helpful because it is exactly in some ways replacing that oh you might like this prompt that we get on social media or elsewhere like I found that with this like when we're prompted with videos that we might like based on things that we viewed before but you're doing it in a parent orient a parent way where you're finding things that they might be interested in and placing them in places that are available to them to stumble upon so kind of replicating that algorithm in a real life way exactly Yes. Got it. Okay. I love that. Um, so I think in our house, I love that, you know, the way you just articulated the greeting each other coming in and out of the room, that is not something that I've ever really thought about, but it is something that I try to be really intentional about, especially at the beginning of the day. And at the end of the day, really greeting with like a solid, like, good morning, how was your sleep or good night? I hope you sleep well. And kind of those, those um, bookends on the day, especially. And then after school, how was your day after school? Um, there's some research that says, like, if you spend three minutes in the morning, three minutes in the afternoon, and three minutes at night of high quality presence with your kids, that that offers, like, almost as much as they need. I don't know if everyone would agree with that. Um, but really just striving to, to make those touch points, those human touch points throughout the day. Um, and then I feel like, I've done my job. If I can just touch base a few times and notice them and connect with them, even for short amounts of time, 
Um, so I think that that's important. I think I always in the morning, like I never, like when my kids are getting ready for school, my phone is never around. Um, and then during the bedtime routine, never around because it's just, um, I find that it gets in the way a lot. It distracts me a lot. So I completely remove technology for all of us really during those periods of time, except with the exception of the Mr. Beast videos, which (laughs) is the kind of that shared enjoyment. And, um, I think that in that for me, you know, I feel like I've personally come a long way on this. I think there was a lot of me shaming my kids for wanting screen time, accidental shaming, kind of like, well, why do you want this? So kind of coming a long way to really embracing that it's okay if you want this. And this is something that we can enjoy together but freedom within limits. Like we do still have limits and we're going to do it in a way that's as safe and healthy as possible for your developing brain. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's really beautiful too, to talk about the the shame for yourself as well. I mean, I sort of, I think of it like this. It is hard enough for me as a parent to stay with the long-winded stories and the, I want to tell you all about my dream that I just had. And that like that is hard enough to be present in that and ask questions and truly care, you know, some of the stories that they're sharing. It's infinitely harder when we're distracted by something we just read or saw or, or, what was on the phone just a minute ago. So I like to think of it as like a gift to myself. This is me giving myself a little bit more presence that would be fragmented if I had just checked the phone. So if I just keep it compartmentalized in its space for the bulk of the day or whatever, whatever the connection moment is, it's it's not allowing yourself to shame yourself, you know, for anything that you have already, it's just, it's a, it's a gift. This is me allowing myself the grace that I'm not interested in this story. I'm not engaged. I'm not naturally engaged with my kids. I have to work at it. And this thing is getting in the way of me working at it. So I'm going to make the intentional decision to put it away for a minute and, and just let it be that, you know, that is that, and that's the world that we live in. And I found that to be really helpful from a parental perspective. I don't think presence comes naturally to any of us. Yeah. Oh, I love that point. That's so true. Well, Erin, this has been so great chatting with you today. Tell us where we can find you online. Um, well, I'm not on social media at all, <laughs> so okay. right, right. but I um, still blog at designformankind.com. I have a homeschooling community at othergoose.com and um, then the book will be coming out whenever the book is finished. <laughs> um, so keep your fingers crossed, but it, it's been a fun journey. Great. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed my chat with Aaron Lochner. If you want to find the links to the things we talked about, go to simplefamilies.com forward slash episode 350. Thanks for being here.